0: Hi, I'm Tom Perry, and I pace Old Crazy Runners.
1: Welcome to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. This is Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners. I've got my cousin, who is always the oldest of crazy runners,
2: Nicholas. And today we are going to talk with Tom Perry. Who has eclipsed 600 marathons. Slacker. Slacker. While battling prostate cancer. So, you know. Okay, so
1: not a slacker.
2: Maybe not a slacker.
1: But before we get to that, be sure to join the Strava Old Crazy Runners Run Club for fun and camaraderie. And I'm not going to lie to you. I need a little inspiration these days to get out there. With the snow yesterday and the 41 degrees this afternoon when I put in my Paltry three miles. I need that inspiration.
2: Well at least you put in three miles. I I did. (laughs) I didn't get I I I was like, I gotta run today. And I didn't. I know. I'm with you. I am in such a fog. Uh and I think it's just this annual cycle and it's really not having something on the calendar. So really looking forward to the the new races. And one of those is we actually get to sign up for Hood to Coast coming in twenty twenty three. The seabrook.
1: Um, but as one thing I was going to say that you didn't get to is that you've, you've been feeling less inspired because you don't have a race on the calendar coming up soon. And you know who can fucking fix that?
2: Me. You. I know. I know. There's no reason not to. It's all, it's, it's right there in front of me. Nonetheless, I've been sitting around drinking beer, eating pie. Although the pie mile, we did talk about getting the pie mile taken care of and uh i might have to do a little more training to get that uh get that finished (laughs) that that might
1: require a little bit of training um you know who took their training up a notch was uh, tate dobson from canada freaking tate oh
0: that's oh my
2: god this is so great
1: You you know he has a screw loose because he spent all summer hiking the Pacific Trail. So, basically, he's like, I don't have a job. I'm just going to hike from Mexico to Canada.
2: It's not that far, really, if you break it down into whatever. (laughs) I mean, it
1: takes a good two and a half, three months to hike the Pacific Trail. But then he's decided, hey, I'm going to do an ultra. I'm going to do 58 kilometers on a roundabout. (laughs)
2: Literally on a roundabout. That. Is amazing. <laughs> well, if, you, if you haven't seen this on, on Strava, the map is crazy.
1: It is amazing. It just looks like an orange donut.
2: I want to know what would be like the safety problems he might run into, just continually running around about. Was he like inside of the traffic? I would hope he was inside the traffic.
1: Well, you forgot he is in Canada. There was no traffic. There's only like eight people that live up there.
2: Well, then why the hell did he just keep running around? Okay, listen, it's better than running a marathon, smoking a cigarette, chain smoking a cigarette. I mean, or maybe not. Only slightly. You ever see those? Only slightly. You ever see those uh, halftime at the basketball contest where the the people have to bend over and put their head on a bat and then spin it around a circle? Yeah,
1: yep, yep. Yeah. This is the running version of that.
2: He won that.
1: He's the Canadian
2: world champion of bat spinning.
1: Well, when I saw it, I was like, that is the ultimate loop-de-loo. (laughs) De-loo. I'm always talking about the loop-de-loo. You go up there, you do a little loop-de-loo, and come back. It's the fucking ultimate loop-de-loo.
2: Man, you got to have some serious motivation right there to stay with that.
1: Oh, man, it is insane. insane. And let's
2: just, you know, uh, it ran 58K. It's not like he... I know, it's not like
1: a 10K. No, I'm mean,
2: still putting in some uh, some decent distance. Well, I'm not going to do that at all, never, no. uh, no. unless forced.
1: I hope he got some sort of world record, and I hope he keeps it forever.
2: Well, here's what I would like to challenge Tate to is uh, redo the loop-de-loo, de-loo-de-loo, uh, <laughs> but incorporate the pie mile.
1: The pie-de-loop? The
2: pie-de-loop. <laughs> the pie-de-loop. <laughs> the pie-de-loop. There you go. <laughs> oh, that would be it. Er, er, oh, I don't think you'd get 58K out of that.
1: I don't think you would either.
2: <laughs> oh, man.
1: Uh, we we also saw another crazy person, and I'm going to let you pronounce her name because I don't want to butcher it.
2: Are you going to make me butcher it? I mean, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to go with uh, Urchana Murray Bartlett. And- okay,
1: first of all, before we get into this, with the first name like Urchana, what the hell are you doing hyphenating your last name? I mean, that's just cruel.
2: I, I want to, I mean, it's, 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 I'm saying the name completely wrong. I guarantee it. Yeah. But, you know, with a name like Urchana, you got to have two names more. I mean, it's just
1: <laughs> maybe three. Why stop she's, there?
2: She's shortchanging herself. So Urchana has officially set the Guinness uh, World Record for the most. Consecutive marathons. Uh, She finished 107 marathons just uh, a day ago, or it might have been two days ago. She's in Australia. I don't know (laughs) how that time difference The days are different. The Googles on my side says one day, so that's what I'm saying. She did it a day ago.
1: Not that it doesn't completely (laughs) – not that this takes away any – bit away from the 107 marathons in a row one marathon every day but i think that's the world record for a female i feel i i think that a uh, male runner has done more than that so just to be clear not that that really matters because we are currently 106 be- behind her
2: you're 106 behind her i'm, I'm no, in a row
1: on. we're all one we're all 106 <laughs> behind her because it has to be in a row
2: that's right <laughs> shit we only
1: have one in a row
2: oh mother all right well uh Interesting you would qualify that because her goal is 150, and I am sure that is going to set the record for all of humanity.
1: I think that might be why she's doing going for the 150, is she wants to just say, screw all of you, men and women alike. I am the champion of the world forever, bar none.
2: Okay, hold on a second. Most marathons. Well, let's just say that... uh, 150 in a row is an amazing achievement, no matter how many times you slice it. And it would still be less than a quarter of the actual record. Are you serious? 607. How do you do 607 marathons
1: in a row? How is that possible? That's almost two years of running.
2: I mean, we're talking about how awesome Tom Perry is at, at over 600. Somebody ran 600 in a row? 607 in a row. Holy shit. He's a Spanish ultra runner. Uh, he's two years younger than us, so he's an asshole. <laughs> Actually, more like a year, year and a half. All right, whatever. Uh, holy crap. He started on October 1st, 2010. Finished February
1: 12th, 2012. That is insane.
2: And uh, second place behind him, 365.
1: Okay, so <laughs> 150 is going to be awesome, but not even close. Yeah. Uh, right, by know. two men?
2: Uh, yes, uh, Stefan okay. Engels, Belgian. Stefan Engels. Crap. Fueled by Fromm, and Mayonnaise. Palm Fritz, what do they call them? <laughs>
1: Oh bon frites with the mayonnaise. Yeah, this is fucking the best. That's what I that is all I would eat if I was doing 600 marathons in a row. <laughs> bon fri my
2: mouth. mayonnaise on french fries. It's disgusting. Put ranch on it. make it a real thing. <laughs> An actual glass of beer. Oh yeah. holy shit. I, I can't even get back on track. Six hundred seven marathons in a row.
1: That's insane.
2: All right, well. Our guest today, Tom Perry, has run 600 marathons at least in his lifetime, and uh, again, still holds a lot more than we do. And he has
1: run uh, six marathons in every state, so you know the 50 states challenge, he's done that six times, so anybody that has that on the bucket list and hasn't done it once yet, you suck, because he's done it six times. Yeah. And most of his marathon, he's, he's done as a pacer. And a lot of them he has done with cancer during chemo treatment. I don't even know where to go from here.
2: Well, I think we let Tom tell his story because it is an amazing tale. Let's get to it. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for joining the podcast.
0: Yeah, Thank you for having me.
2: So uh, first, let's start off with
1: the insane number of marathons that you <laughs> have run. Uh, what is that number currently?
0: Uh, it's five hundred and sixty-six marathons, and I have one ultra. I keep the ultra separate from my marathon count. <laughs> well, as you should. What,
1: yeah, and why just one ultra?
0: Uh, it was it basically was just doing the marathons, and then uh, my goal was to you know eventually do the the states fourteen times, and then eventually I was going to do. You know, a trail marathon in all 50 states, an ultra in all 50 states, a half in all 50 states. So I was just working my way up to it.
2: (laughs) Now, what distance of ultra did you complete?
0: Uh, It was one in Iowa last uh, November, the stuffed uh, turkey, I think it was called. um, It was a 30 miler in Iowa that was done uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving.
1: Nice. So I assume in uh, Iowa that elevation wasn't a huge concern.
0: (laughs) Nope. Elevation was not. There was a little snow, a little ice, a little wetness on the course, a combination of just about everything. Uh,
1: So the wetness is okay for me, but once things get icy and cold and the water is freezing to you as you're running, that's when I uh, cease to enjoy running.
0: Oh, uh, and I've done races in you know, Minnesota and 25 below, and in the old days we did them, and then days, nowadays they'd probably cancel the run. Yeah. <laughs> Even with your Gore-Tex and Under Armour, they'd still cancel the run. They'd say, nope, nope, we're wimps, we can't do it.
2: Yeah, I was going to say there's a little irony in the fact that uh, we have more sophisticated gear to allow you to put yourself out into those conditions and yet uh, less willingness to do so.
0: Oh, dude, totally. I totally agree. I mean, I remember doing a race one time when my friend got his his cotton gloves uh, frozen to his hands. and He had to go to the ER room to get them removed, um, <laughs> you know, because, you know, that was in the seventies. I mean, you, you know, you did, you just did that stuff, but now you'd have Gore-Tex, you'd have certain, you'd have all this stuff. You'd have the waterproof shoes. You had all that, you know, we had, we had shoes from Montgomery Wards and Kmart and all that stuff that, you know, there was no waterproof. There was no nothing. I mean, there was no wind, wind resistant, windproof. What was that? We didn't, I didn't have a clue what that stuff was. <laughs> I didn't even know what that was.
1: <laughs> so it's uh, Tom, it sounds like you subscribe to the philosophy of uh, your skin is windproof and waterproof. Why do you need anything else?
0: Correct. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I still got my two feet. I, I can still run. I can still see. Yeah. Just go run.
2: Well, and you've been running for quite some time, obviously, not just because you can talk about what it was like back in the day in Minnesota, but just in the introduction, you rattled off a series of goals that I want to make sure we circle back on because you continue to check those off, although a couple you might not. Um, And in particular, you're focused on completing races in all 50 states. So, I mean, it's not just, I want to do a marathon, you want to do one and you you've actually already have but let's let's kind of revisit that whole list and your approach to running these races in each of the states and why why that geographical component is such a, a key part yeah. i think it was 14 marathons in each state is what he said is oh and that uh, that's yes. what i said i want to go back correct. to that whole list and hear hear all of it one at a time because uh, that's the part but i'm also curious why why in each state what about that is is um you know where does that settle in in your motivation?
0: Well, you know, in 2002, I was sitting, you know, I was at the Omaha Marathon. I was sitting at a table with five runners that had combined between the five, almost 2,500 marathons. Oh my um, and that was back when the 50-State Club had started. Uh, it was the breakoff club from the 50-States and D.C. Club. Uh, and I was sitting with these guys, and they're all talking about the 50-States, and I didn't know anything about that stuff. so sitting at the table in 2002 and they're talking about it. Yeah. They're on their second time, third time, all that stuff. And they said, okay, I might as well look into it. And I said, okay. And you know, five years, I'll just do it. And so in 2007, I had finished my first time. And I thought, okay, well, I probably won't do a second time. Well then, you know, next thing I knew started doing more marathons and kept pacing and pacing. And all of a sudden I noticed I was, oh, okay. Almost done with my second time. So I finished my second time. Then before I do it, there was a sub four group. So I did a sub four marathon in all 50 States. And then I, you know, just kept pacing and running. All of a sudden I kept doing it. Then I kept seeing these guys with three and four and five. Then I started to notice that, that once you got to four, very few people were doing it past four. In fact, after three, very few people were doing it. So I said, okay, let's just shoot for 14 times all 50 and be done with it. Um, And I can do some other goals and stuff, you know, halves and ultras and all that other fun stuff. And, and that was basically my goal at that time. And, you know, obviously the pandemic threw a little uh, wrench into my goal and then stage four cancer is obviously throwing a wrench into my goal, but yeah, I'm just keep, keep working at it and keep going. I have five states left for my sixth time. I have 20 left for my seventh time. And I think I have 27 or 28 left for my eighth time. Um, So I'll just keep going. And my biggest issue though, is that I keep repeating States, I had to give up. I had 80 races over the years that I had legacy at, that. I finally had to start giving up some by attrition. They just disappeared, but like Med City Marathon that I'm running this weekend, this is going to be my 25th time being down at that race. So that always takes a weekend out of your schedule, um, because you can't do a different state. You can't do another race. Mm -hmm. So those types of things were the speed bumps along the way that kept me from getting the goal quicker. Cause it wasn't about how fast I'd get it. I would just get the goal.
1: So on average, how many marathons are you doing a year?
0: Uh, Except for last year, I've been averaging somewhere usually close to 40. Um, I plan (laughs) 60 races a year. I plan 60 races a year usually. And I've done that for the past 40 plus years. So I plan 60 races a year. And usually I'll come out with, uh, the lowest number of actual races I had was last year, um, because of the pandemic and stuff. But I still, I think we had 56 races with 25 virtuals. Um, but I've, I've done 36 races a year for 43 consecutive years. This is my 43 years of doing 36 races a year.
1: Oh, just from a time wise from training, are you just independently wealthy, Tom? How do you find the time to do this much training?
0: Well, you know, the funny thing, is people, said, you know, I've never trained. And and that's the kind of the joke. The pandemic was the only thing that ever got me to run. I had never ran a training run further than nine miles in a training run. And that's kind of the joke with the pandemic. Because so I, mean, I had to finally run half in a virtual. So those were actual training runs or races. Because what I always did is I had a race that would help me get to my next goal. So if I wanted mm-hmm. to run a 10K, I'd just run a bunch of 5Ks. Wanted to run a half marathon. I ran a bunch of 10Ks. Wanted to run a marathon. I just did 25Ks, 15Ks, halves. I never ran my first marathon. I had never ran past the 25K. So I'd never ran past the 16 miles where you know, all the training books are saying, you know, you've got to put in 19, 21. I had no clue. You know, I, I didn't do any of that stuff. I had no interest in that. Tom. You know, I, I thought the love... first marathon I was going to do was one and done. <laughs> and it wasn't.
1: I love your training philosophy, Tom.
2: I'm in. Well, and it, it, now it sounds like you've got to the cycle where, you know, you're running these distant you know, 60 races a year, you're booked every single week. So from a training perspective, you have long runs built in week over week over week. You're just you're not recycling, but I mean, you, you never let yourself get out of the ability to run a marathon.
0: Correct. And, you know, a lot of these races in the, in the last couple of weekends, um, you know, every year I usually do so many 5Ks, so many halves. So many missile- I always try and pick a few miscellaneous races like a mile, you know a fifteen k or some miscellaneous distance that I can go test myself, so I'm always out there having fun, but I'm not the type that you know has been out there you know doing speed work, and that's part of the reason why I've stayed knock on wood injury free for you know almost forty five years because I don't kill myself in the training. I can still run very fast, but I'm not killing myself out there training. You know, I, yeah. I have no interest in that. That's not my, that's not my deal.
2: <laughs> right. And, and we hear that often that, uh, that's the, the biggest obstacle, most new runners and even, uh, you know, long time, really competitive runners put themselves through is the overtraining, uh, and it, you know, getting injured somewhere in the process, not at the race itself by, you know, just going too far. Well, I totally agree because I see all these first timers that,
0: you know, come to the marathon and they're talking about how, you know, a week before, two weeks before, you know, they're doing some 21 mile or 23 mile. And I'm thinking, okay, you only started to run in the last year. And I said, you know, and I I hear these stories and it just amazes me that they're still out doing the marathon and stuff because, you know, they don't do any, they they train for the marathon, but they don't, it's just how they view it. I view it completely different than how they do.
2: So tell me about that. I'd love to hear that. What is the way that you view it that approaches it differently?
0: I to me, it's like okay, if you want to if you want to do a race and you want to do a marathon, my suggestion all is runners, especially new timers, is okay. Start with a simple, you know, five k walk, and then you know do a couple of five k's, then do a ten k, then work up to your half, and then maybe a fifteen k or twenty five k or a thirty k and get comfortable. The more comfortable you are with the racing experience, the better you're going to have a, a chance at the marathon. A lot of these people that are now the first-time marathons have only done a couple of races, and they're not real comfortable with the whole philosophy of the chip, getting to the start, you know, going through the aid stations, drinking water, bathroom issues along the course. Um, they're real new to the whole running experience, and, it, and it's completely changing now with COVID. Um, the COVID experience, it, you know, is going to be real different for the first time marathoner because aid stations are comp- most aid stations are very different than what it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's and that's going to be unique for a lot of races. There's fewer aid stations at most races now. Um, you know, they're giving you bottles of water or you have to have your own container. Um, you have to have your own water bottle and stuff. They don't have cups at a lot of the aid stations. There's no food and goo and gel at a lot of the A stations. There's no medical supplies out. There's all that stuff because of the COVID, which is so different than the days. You know, when we used to run, there's goo packs on the thing. You know, there's glasses of water, glasses of Gatorade, all that stuff out there. Now it can be a completely different experience for the runner who's not used to carrying their own water, all that stuff. Um, It can be a very different experience for them. And even some of the experienced runners that haven't ran in a while. You know, they're so used to the aid stations being stacked and taken care of them. Well, now it's a new experience where, hey, you don't, you don't have your water bottle. How are you going to get water at the aid station?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's excellent point. I have a marathon coming up here in about three weeks, and I hadn't really thought through to double check and get very familiar with what the water and stations look like along the course and knowing how I need to manage that.
0: Yeah. And that that can vary per state, per per area and all that stuff. A lot of, like I say, and that's something that you would want to check, you know, are they going to have boo? Are there going to be more aid stations? Are they spread out? Um, is it, you know, if, a lot of them, like I say, you better have your own, your own bottle and, you know, not trust what the race is going to offer. I don't trust what the race is offering these days. Yeah. Well,
1: and I ran a half marathon in June and it was the opposite. They said that they weren't going to have traditional aid stations and you had to have your own containers and people would pour water into it. And then while I was running, there was paper cups out and everything was was normal. So I had over <laughs> overprepared.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. better. Yep. Uh, yep is- so you can get that surprise.
2: And this is a good time to actually uh, highlight one of the reasons why you have so many races on your calendar and that is because you are a pace runner. Tell me about, uh, I want to know more about that because uh, it is an important component to any good race. And uh, the idea of running and knowing you're going to finish in a certain amount of time boggles my mind because I oscillate all throughout the course. I don't know how to keep that pace like you would.
0: Well, you know, I've been running as a pacer, you know, back in the day, you know, we used to be called more the rabbits and now, you know, there's, there's the terminology, there's probably four words for the pacer. There's the rabbit, you know, which is usually the fast guy out there that's setting the pace for the runners, then the actual pacer who's on the defined pace for the race. So if you're going to run, you know, seven minute pace or an eight minute pace or your BQ, that's your, that's your pace, or you have what we call the guide who basically okay i'm going to help you finish the race there's that type of person and then there's more like the sweeper type or the float who's kind of going in between the runners and helping them i work primarily as the rabbit or the pacer in the sense that more now where you know you you want to run a 4 hour marathon i'll you know i'll, I'll just click in it lock in at 905 and we'll just run the whole race at 905 uh be a few seconds off per mile but not much and i'll usually finish you know right around you know, three fifty nine thirty is is my goal. Um, and uh, you know, I've paced over a thousand events, I think it's one thousand forty two career uh, between you know, being a flow to sweep, uh, you know, everything, uh, the, you know, the rabbit, all that, and I've never not hit my mark, uh, which is which I feel very fortunate about, um, over the years, and that doesn't matter the weather, whether I'm feeling good or not, um, and even with the cancer, the stage four cancer now, it's more of a challenge, but. You know, in the old days, I the first probably 300 races I ever paced, I didn't even use a stopwatch or a watch. I didn't have one. Uh, I couldn't afford it. So, you know, you'd just be out there running. And, okay, you want a 20-minute 5K? Good. I'll hit you in 1957 to 2003 and just nail it. I didn't even own a Garmin until 2011 was the first race I ever used a Garmin at uh, because Garmin Marathon gave me that for pacing the marathon. So I had almost 700 races, whatever it was that I was out there doing that, that I never even knew, knew how to work a Garmin.
1: <laughs> so you, so, so you were pacing without a watch. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you know, is it just your body knows what that pace is and you've just, it's just ingrained in you. How, how does that physiologically work to know to that you can just hit that pace
0: all the time? It, it's more, you know, just getting so comfortable with your breathing, you know. Especially, especially there were certain paces that I could just lock in on a, you know, you know a six twenty, you know a six twenty pace or a six forty pace. I could just lock in, you know, when I was really pacing the nine hundred five pace was just something that was incredibly comfortable. Eight fifty was probably my favorite running pace for just the marathon because I could just lock into it, blindfold it, and do, you know, easily thirty miles of that. Because I'd finish the race, then go back out and get runners come back in, go out and get some runners. Um and it was just something that, you know, being nicknamed the human metronome, you know, kinda <laughs> helped because it was just it was one of the things that I was always if you if you look at some of the old things in the nineties and in early two thousands, that's what a lot of people called me. They they couldn't figure out how I did what I did. Um because I could sit there and talk and never looked at my watch and we'd be you know right at pace and people just joke about it over the years. Um the people that I paced, you know, 19, 20 times you know, how I'm able to do it. And it's just, I just, it's just something that always came easy to
2: me. I'd like to request your presence October 3rd in Portland at <laughs> the yeah. 359 pace, because uh, you sound like the person I need to be running next to. Yeah. Your uh, plane ticket will be yeah, on the yeah. way.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. weekend, that weekend I'm doing, let's see the third and the fourth, that's, that's Twin Cities marathon day. So I'll be doing that one. Uh, oh, pretty much every day, there's every weekend there's a race, I'm either pacing or running. So,
1: yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, you know, we'll I, have to dial it, you in it next used year. To be,
0: yeah, because like I say, it's so fun to do, you know, all these races that I've done over the years and all the requests. I have about a thousand groupies that follow me. I have, you know, people that have done, you know, 19, 20 states with me that have paced. And it's just been fun to see all the runners. Um, I probably paced 120,000 runners over the years.
2: Nice. Um,
0: so it's been fun to see them all.
2: No. well I, i'd like to circle back a little uh personally here um what are the uh races that you ran in oregon and what have you checked off uh, in our beautiful state
0: uh i would have to look on my spreadsheet to see it just to remember off the time um i know i've done uh i did uh, uh the rebel mount hood i paced the okay. 420 group for that yeah. uh i did your holland Aspen one and I'll always remember that one because uh I got bed bugs uh in the the night of the hotel stay there. So that was a memorable weekend. Wow. Um and I did the Eugene Oregon one, that was my sub four. I think that was my original sub four um when we started, I think, and finished on the Hayward Field. Yeah, that's um, a fun one. I did the did the Williamette uh marathon that was just actually in this May. That was for my sixth time for Oregon. And then I did uh, uh, another one I can't remember. And that one was kind of disappointing because I'm trying to do one in all state capitals, but states with, for the city with the state capital, which is Salem. But you guys didn't start, the, the marathon didn't start and finish by the marathon for the state capital, So I can't count that. So I will have to come back and do that someday when we can get, get a marathon that goes by or finishes by the state capitol because I don't well, count the capital Marathon. So,
1: capital. Uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the common things that we agree with is, is often uh, our, the state capital governments can be a bit disorganized. Salem isn't the most organized town in the world. So, um, mm-hmm. God, it might be a while before they get that figured out.
2: <laughs> I, I'd like to... <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to focus more on the fact that you just flat out will not count that race because it doesn't go by the capital more so than the Salem's yep. inability to do it. I applaud your dedication to the rules, my friend. That's, that's the way it's got to be. I mean, and besides, the spreadsheet's got to have conditional formatting that's going to highlight it correctly in the cell if it runs by the capital. I would assume.
0: Yeah, I'm, I have 129 spreadsheets that I have that are all on my running stats and stuff, you know. and <laughs> You know, one of the saddest things for me is in 2002, um, my washing machine hose broke and it it, it ruined all my running logs a lot of my running logs got ruined So a lot of those 5k and 10k races that i had done i I couldn't retract because i had just started you know when i grew up we didn't have Excel spreadsheets and all that to log on this stuff so all my things that had the notebooks with the bids in all got ruined my running mdr running logs all that got ruined so i started doing the spreadsheet with my marathon so i got all the marathons in was just starting to work on my half list but then you know there's we didn't have app links and all this stuff that you could go back and you know 1987 what race did i do in washington in 1987 that i won a pie that i won the race and i can't even find that race i can't even tell you what city it was in um and that's the stuff that i miss. i wish i had a my list of the 2232 races that i did that i wish i had a list of every single race i did i know the numbers i know you know, how many I did. I know all that stuff, but I just can't tell you the specific, I know how many age groups I've gotten. I know how many overall wins I have. I know all that stuff, but I just can't tell you specific pace and stuff.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's take a look at that. What are your overall uh, marathon wins?
0: Uh, Runners World in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think that was, was that four years ago or five years ago? That was just on a whim. That was the half and half. Um, they had, they had, they actually had three different marathons. You could do the trail and trail, the trail and road or the road and road. And I did the road and road. So you could do half and half and split it out. And I did the road and road and luckily won that, um, in Oklahoma. I can't remember how many runners are in that. It was a smaller marathon, but it was kind of funny to go to Oklahoma and, and and end up winning it.
2: That's awesome. Would you pay that, uh, for your win? What's it? What would you come in at for your win? What was your time?
0: Uh, Three fifty six. It wasn't a fast one. It was just a hilly, windy course. It's not a fast course, so it's not one of those blazing fast courses. Um, and like I say, I don't, I don't run even the races that I won in five k, ten k, and half. All these races that I won were never nothing exceptional speed because I don't, I don't care to run fast. That's not my deal.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I'll just show up and win a race, and it's like, okay, I'm happy.
2: Nice. Uh, that's a good way to approach it. Uh, I noticed, or I saw a, um, comment and I want to make sure I, I read this correctly. Are you working to complete or have you completed your second Abbott's as well? We, we keep talking domestically, but I saw that you've, you've checked that off your list too.
0: I have, um, I have, uh, seven Chicago's done. I have four New York, so I have one London. Uh, I have not done Boston yet. Uh, um, just because that was my carrot. I always had the carrot out there at Boston that would force me to do, you know, Berlin and Tokyo. And now I see that they're going to probably add the Cape Town Marathon 2025 to the list. Um, you know, I've paced London, I've paced New York, I've paced Chicago. So now it's just whether I can, uh, you know, get in and pace Berlin probably won't be able to pace Tokyo, um, because they want somebody fluent in Japanese. Although most people over there speak English, um. So that that's how my goal is too. Um,
1: so uh, you don't want to just run them; you want to pace them.
0: If I could, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. correct.
0: Yep. So how do you? Yeah, getting- I, think I think right now, if, if if I looked at the world rankings, I'm think think on the age group rankings uh, for 60 to 64. I think I'm third in the U.S. for age group rankings for them for the majors. I think. You can you can look if you go to the Abbott site, you can go to age group rankings, and you can see there's special races that you can do to get timed in, like Grandma's Marathon was this year and others. And I think I'm third in the U.S. for my age group ranking for the 60 to 64 on the timed events.
1: That is awesome. Let's take a moment and just focus focus in on that. You're third in the 60 to 65
0: uh, age group uh, for marathon.
1: That's awesome. Congratulations on that.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, but and it's nothing fast. It's just the fact that we're doing. I'm doing the required couple of the required races um, that got me in, like a 409 at Grandma's, um, and I can't the Atlanta one. I did a 437, which was nothing exceptional. Um, But those are the ways you can. And what happens then with the Abbotts is that the top two runners every year Abbott has the world has their speed one or whatever you call where they they invite the top two runners out there. So I think this year it was London. So the, the top two runners usually get invited. Sometimes the top three get invited to that marathon. So it's a one way you can get into that Abbott race instead of just going through the lottery and stuff, you can actually get an invite.
1: Gotcha. So that's yes. kind of a backdoor, uh, based on those races that you can get a guarantee into some of those uh, races that are hard to get into.
2: Correct. You've mentioned a couple of times that you, uh, you're currently fighting cancer and the impact that that's had on how you approach your running. And this is something that we talk about quite often, the, the need to uh, adjust expectations to continue to do what we, what we really want to do, even though new things have, have changed what we thought or what we'd hoped we could accomplish. And I, I'd really like to learn more about your story and how that diagnosis um, and how you moved through that moment, in order to continue with these great streaks, because by the way, if we go back to those numbers you threw out, uh, a lot of that happened right in the middle of all this, and you kept your pace and your streak going anyway. So uh, let's let's hear um, how that worked out. Well,
0: basically, basically, what happened is, is I was starting my the quick story on on the cancer deal. Is I was starting my second time around for the sub four fifty states. So I, okay, I'm thinking, okay, this will be easy. You know, 350s very comfortable. I'll just keep doing 350s. Well, it started in 2017. I noticed that my 5K times and stuff, I wasn't able to hit the 19s as readily and stuff, and I was getting slower. And obviously, I knew age was part of that in training. But then I was hitting 401, 402 in the marathons, and then I was pacing a 4:30 event at Wassa in 2018. And it felt like at mile 17, I I had ran a hundred miler and I'd never felt that before. So, you know, I was thinking it was Lyme disease, anemia. So I got all the checks out. Okay, December 21st, I have my full physical day before Christmas. My general physician was going to call, and he waited till the day after Christmas. And says, "Well, looks like you got an aggressive form of prostate cancer. Um, we need to get you in for the biopsy and get you all checked out, rechecked all that." So. July 3rd, of 2019, have the prostate removed, and I'm told on July 30th, 2019, uh, you have stage four cancer um, that's spreading. Um, so then, you know, I'm on, you know, I started drug treatment on May 9th. I had the surgery uh, uh, July 3rd. Then I'm running a race in Des Moines, Iowa, a five-mile in October, and as soon as I get with the, done with the race, I'm pretty much peeing straight blood. Pace the marathon the next day, pretty much peeing straight blood. Get into the doctor on Monday. They do emergency surgery on me on Wednesday for the bladder. I run a 429 at New York. Uh, 11 days later, uh, unofficially helping with the 430 pace group. And then I start radiation, which was 38 rounds of radiation on November 25th and uh, January 23rd. And then you know all this time I'm still running and still doing the same thing I'm doing, uh, just moving down in my times. Instead of you know doing four hours, I'm doing four thirty. Instead of doing four thirty, I'm doing five hours. Um, You know, it wasn't matter if you know twenty fifth radiation. I had my twenty fifth radiation on a Saturday at what was five o'clock. The next day I'm upset because I can't break five hours in the marathon. Um, That's just the way. That's just the way I am. It's just I'm wired that way. But the fatigue and all that is you know is 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 just getting worse um the fatigue and the the cancer not going into remission uh is is taking a toll on me but i'm still out there running still out there having a blast and you know still going to pace the 5 hour group this weekend and next weekend and you know the weekend after that and you know one of these days i know i won't be able to run it's not going to be today and i still got to get the 600 marathons i'm going to get my hopefully my sixth and seventh time through the 50 uh, if I can get under remission, I'll definitely get my second time sub 450, and I'll hit my 14 states 50, um, do my Abbots, get my majors done, get the seven continents done, um, get my ultra in all 50 states, get my half in all 50 states. Um, I don't have a win in all 50 states. I think, I think I have 37 states where I have a win in a 5K or a marathon. Um, so I need, 13, I need 12 states, which is going to be tougher at my age, but I still think I can do it.
1: Uh, well, I am happy if you want to do a smaller, uh, marathon in Oregon, I'm happy to, you know, go out on the course and tackle a couple of people for you to make sure that, yeah, yeah, know, that be good,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> we have a little history great. in
2: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, so a cu- couple things here. So first of all, I applaud your, um, uh, philosophy on medicine where you went and ran a 5k and peed a lot of blood and then decided it was totally fine to run a marathon the next day
0: oh yeah 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 oh of course it was
1: completely (laughs) medically sound um sure and then uh on a more serious note i i think it's so important uh for when you know you're battling cancer you're getting uh you're taking cancer drugs but you just keep doing what you want to do and uh the only difference is just adjusting those expectations because i think there's so many people um that when bad things happen you know the tendency is this to give up
0: you well you know when i came home the day it was a tough day july 30th because you know, you're given the diagnosis, you think, okay, I'm, I got the prostate out, you know, I'm going to get my diagnosis, okay, it's just going to be stage three, you know, the prostate's out, good news, you're done, you know, let's have some fun and all that, and then it's like, nope, you got stage four, it's spreading, you know, obviously, we're going to have to, you know, wait till you heal, it looks like you might have another surgery coming up, you might have more treatment, we're going to probably do another round of drug treatment, we're going to do the radiations and all this, you know, you're going to need multi-radiations instead of just, you know, 13 to 15, you're going to need 38, you know, 25 on the lymph nodes, 13 on the prostate. I just came home and thought, OK, I can look at it one of two ways. I can sit there and say, you know, cancer is going to define me or I'm going to and tell me what I can't do. And I said, well, you know, I know cancer is going to tell me what I can't do, but I'm going to tell cancer what I can do. And that's what I've been doing ever since is this is what I can do with cancer. and I'm going to keep doing that. Until I can't do anything, and and, Mm -hmm. but I can still make incremental goals. If I can't run a marathon next year because of the cancer, I can probably still do a half or a five k, and and I'll keep working at that until I basically can't run or can't do anything. Um, Cancer won't define me. You know, it's a two two syllable word, and I'll replace that with runner, uh, which is much more uh, a fun word for me and a much more meaningful word for me. You know, and that's what I've been doing. Um, I just don't slow down and. You know, and, and I'm enjoying life, you know, and whatever cancer decides to do, let it do whatever. But it, it's not going to define me. Um, that's for sure.
2: Well, that is um, really, really inspirational. And I hope motivating to uh, everyone out there listening that uh, it's so important to put that focus on the positive side. And to make sure that you're going out and doing everything that you possibly can, we can't let any of these things be the reason to stop. They have to be the reason to adjust, and uh, it's great that you're getting out there. I'm looking forward to when you make a trip out to Oregon and we can make sure that we get on the course with you.
0: No, oh, that'd be a blast, yeah, that would be a blast, yeah yeah I'll be i'll be, I'll be going out there, you know, because I haven't um I'm trying to think have I paced the marathon, I'll have to look to see because I'm trying to pace the marathon since I've had the stage four. Uh, diagnosis. I'd have to look because I, I can't remember all the states off the top, my head, I had 23 states done. Um, so I'm trying to pace one prior to the, prior to the cancer and, and after the cancer um, diagnosis. So I, I'll definitely be getting out at Oregon because I only have Oregon, I think, six times. So I need, I think, my seventh and eighth time. So yeah, I'll definitely be coming out there
2: soon. Good to hear. Uh- I'd like to know a little bit about some of the um, other aspects that you put into place to make sure that you can maintain these goals. And, and in particular, some of your um, uh, nutrition strategies, do you follow a particular diet? Uh, how do you approach making sure that your body is, is ready to do all this stuff?
0: Well, it's, it's changed a little cause, cause I used to be, you know, much more heavy on the carbs and all that stuff, you know, doing a lot of the, the, the apostrophes and carbon uploading and stuff. Now, since the, the, the cancer diagnosis, I'm, I'm pretty much not on a, a totally non-carb diet, but it's more like a keto Atkins diet where it's much more heavily on protein, a little more on the vegetarian side, mm-hmm. um, during the week and much more fish, but I really do stay away or tend to stay away more from the sugary products. Um, and the other issue is that with, with my bladder and bowel issues, I have to be very careful about what I do, what I don't do. Like when I enter a race, it's usually cause of 12 hours fasting. I don't have food 12 hours before the race, um, cause my stomach, uh, can't handle it. Um, so I have a little things that have tweaks. I'm actually going into the marathons and these race fasting, um, which is very different from what I did in the past. Sure. Um, I'll have my goo packets and stuff on the course. Um, and the other thing is, too, is the day before the race, I have to be very careful because of my bladder issues. Um, I have to be very careful that I don't overhydrate or underhydrate, because with my bladder issue, and, and that I can't be, you know, stopping every 15 minutes on the course to pee, which is one of the adjustments I had to make when I had all the, the bladder issues and all that stuff, the cancer, is that you really have to look at how you hydrate and take in the nutrition um because mm-hmm. of the bowel and stuff. Because the the time I couldn't break the five hour marathon that day after the radiation because I spent thirteen minutes in the bathroom that day and several several times because I just had, my bowels aren't working. So that's just the way it is. And you know, you know, I'm still finished with five oh one twenty seven, but I couldn't break you know, it's just one of those things. You just I just accept it. It it is part of me now. And when I pace now, if I have to use the rest of them I tell the runners, hey I'll be up ahead, but I'll be catching you in a few minutes. Just stay right on pace and I'll be back and see you in a few minutes. Mm -hmm.
1: So uh, I have a question about the fasting before the race, because I, you know, mentally Mm -hmm. in my head, uh, I think, okay, I got to get up. I got to eat two hours before get that energy food in there. um, And then, you know, give it time to digest and stuff. But I've been hearing more and more about runners that will, uh, not eat the morning of and will go in uh, to a race fasted and uh, say they feel great. And I'm just wondering uh, what your experience is with that.
0: The the toughest part to know about that, and this is what i told runners, is I really don't know because my fatigue is gets so bad because, you know, after eight hours, my fatigue is so bad. So if I get up, you know, three hours before the race or two hours before the race, plus three hours in the race, that's six hours. My fatigue is getting bad usually at around three hours into the race already. So I don't know what it would be like normal mm-hmm. if I didn't have my, my cancer fatigue and stuff. The part that's nice about it is, is I have no digestive issues or less. So I think as a runner, I think that would be one advantage going into it. the The, the thing that I would be in the back of my mind thinking though, if I had you know, that bagel and banana or a slice of orange and stuff, would I have that extra energy I need for that last nine miles or that last 10K or 5K? That would probably be the part I'd be second guessing if I was healthy.
2: Right. Well, I'm amazed that you were able to find that path as you ran all of these runs. I mean, it, to know, you know, exactly how much you can eat and when you have to stop and what's the impact is and all, you know, your, your duration into the race. I mean, that would just seem to me that would take so much trial and error. And yet you just rolled right into it.
0: Well, a 5k that I did what was it two weeks ago, the Hawk, Hawk's Creek 5k run and just a 5k room in Minnesota. I left my house that morning. I remember 12 hours, I had an eighth before the run and stuff. It's a two-hour drive. I had six stops along the way for the bathroom just to get to the race, because it's a two-hour drive. So it ended up being almost a two-hour and 45-minute drive. And I told the race I said before the start, I said, "All I hope is I can make it through the you know the 20-some minutes without using the bathroom." She goes, "Okay, there's a bathroom here. You can hide behind the shed over here because it was on the golf course and all that. Luckily I made it through the course, ran a twenty-five flat on a cross country course on a golf course, got first place in my age group, and I was happy. But I had you know, I just don't know going in what I'm gonna what to expect. And I and, and I'm happy with that. I'm just happy I could A go to the race, B start the race, C finish. That's that was my three goals. And I got and I was extremely happy. The the award, anything else is just a bonus.
2: So one of the things that we uh, focus on <laughs> personally and a little selfishly, we love our race medals and you would have a lot of them. <laughs> so I'm curious if, uh, yeah. what, what do you do with uh, your, just the little trinkets that they give us to remind us of all the pain we put ourselves through?
0: Well, a lot of the, I have very few, I have all, most of my awards and stuff, I've given some of the medals um, to my nieces and nephews and all that fun stuff. And some friends that wanted them. Almost all my races from the 5K, the halves and all that stuff used to go to a group called Medals for Medals. Um, it was a group that was, I think, based out of Illinois or wherever it was actually based out of where they would get the kids um, that were going through cancer treatment, like at Ronald McDonald House, the Shriners, all those, St. Jude's, they would give them the medal. And there was usually a note on it. You know, I, I ran this race, you know, Twin Cities Marathon, and this was in, you know, such and such weather and all that. And they'd give them to the kids. Um, is kind of a reward for going through treatment or going through a surgery and stuff. So a lot of my medals went to that. I have a lot of my medals from like my legacy, like Med City Marathon. I have 23 of those. I actually can't find my fourth year marathon medal, but a lot of those legacy ones, I have them all. And then a few others I keep um, and stuff. And then basically, you know, when I pass away, there's a big, huge container upstairs that my family can go through and they can <laughs> take whichever models they want and, you know, and, and do whatever they want with them. But I'm not real sentimental about that stuff. I had a few years ago, I went through my t shirts. I had over 1,600 t shirts um, that I reduced down to 600 and got rid of over 1,000 t shirts that were donated to the Goodwill and all that stuff.
1: Uh, two questions. First question is uh, my wife is always yelling at me at the number of running shirts I have, and she does not understand that I can't just throw them out. Did you, did you have any problems of that sort?
0: I, I kept most of the, the marathons. The thing is, is a lot of these times, you know, I have so many. You just gets to the point where like my when I was growing up, my nieces and nephews always got my 5k shirts or and some of those I still wish I kind of had because those would have been the cool ones to make the quilt and the old ones from the 80s, especially which were the Halloween and the reindeer run runs and the Valentine's ones, which were all those tie dye silkscreen, the really (laughs) good cotton ones that you could have made a tremendous quilt in. You know, the one time, you know, the Mall of America race, it was at 1993 that they just did the 5K, the one year that NordicTrack did it. I think I gave it to one of my nieces or nephews. I would, you know, some of those that my friends all say, oh, you're, there's only a couple hundred runners. Do you still have that shirt? I said, no, that was given away a long time ago. So some of those would be special to me. Others, I just, you know, I don't need, you know, the milk run from the state fair. I did it how many <laughs> years and, you know, hey, I don't need it. It's It's gone. It would have been cool. Um, but there's a few shirts that I have that are favorite. I just go through and I, I open one um, container. I take the 50 or 100, whatever's in there, and then I replace with the others. And I wear these and just rotate them. And it's kind of fun to see a lot of the memories.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I like having uh, my race shirts. I, I don't have to be nearly as discretionary as you do and which ones I need to keep because I have <laughs> the space for all of them. But that is what. Oh. Uh, I experience every time I grab one as when I put that on for whatever run I'm doing that day, I, the first thing I think about is the, that run, you know, what I did to get mm-hmm. that Jersey and it's not some super sentimental thing, but I, I do like that. That's always the first thing that comes in my mind is that day.
0: In, 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 when I had the cancer, when I was going through my one closet, I had 119, windbreaker jackets from races 119 that were just you know from chicago marathon you know all these different marathon races that have done or paced um i think i have in my closet right now i probably have one two i probably have 20 or 30 jackets that are 10 year legacy 15 year legacy 30 year you know 20 year legacy jackets um and it's like i started giving them all the goodwill or one time i even donated uh a bag of shoes my running stuff um, even some of my little pacer shoots, all that to one of the men's homes around here. Um, just so the guys could have something to run in, um, and backup because I just simply don't need it. And I'd rather have it be used than to sit in my closet, not being used for some of that stuff. Cause it's quality stuff. I just, I just can't use it all. I simply can't. I can't, I mean, even if I wore the jacket one day a week, I mean, I'd have, I'd have three months worth of jackets. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a that's a lot of jackets and uh that's awesome donating uh those to to different places. I know there's a number of places that will use running to uh, help uh, homelessness or addiction and stuff and I'm I'm sure that they mm-hmm. can get good use out of that. So I have a question mm-hmm. and you might be one of the most qualified people uh in in the United States to to answer this question is you know, if we take the famous marathons and put those aside, the well-known ones, you know, the Boston and the Chicago and New York and mm-hmm. what would be, say five marathons that you have really enjoyed that weren't quote unquote famous ones that you would recommend, whether it be because based on scenery or the fans or, or just the general feel about the city, that would be good marathons for, for people to look into.
0: Well, I've done 232 different marathons, so I can tell you that right off the bat. (laughs) Um, And obviously, I've done you know five in each state um, that are different. The the ones in in the the thing that's so tough to sometimes ask when people ask me that because the weather makes an impact on it. So some of these races that I've done, there were some that I think I really would have loved the marathon, but it was just pouring rain, Mm -hmm. you know, unbelievably cold, um, a lot of factors played into it especially in the last three years it's really tough to judge a race in the last two years because of COVID. because everything so changed there's no real expo there's no real aid stations everything is completely different it's kind of like you're going into a skeleton run where you're kind of running on the trail and you don't see anybody because there's no spectators there's nothing so if i was looking if somebody said okay you know, let's not, let's not go to the big ones and, and you'd have to, def- if, if I'm considering a big race over 2,500 marathons, marathoners, which would be like New York, Chicago, all those. If I had to pick my five favorite, um, definitely would be Little Rock, Arkansas. That would be, the Little Rock Marathon is one of my favorites for not one of the huge, bigger ones. Um, it, it's a nice size. Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Chris Birch is a great race director. That's that's a great little run. I love the Charlotte Marathon in North Carolina. Um, that's another one that's you know never going to have the huge numbers, but very well done. Um, you know, was legacy there for 13 years and had to give that up because of the New York City Marathon. Um, the other one that I really like that started off when Carlton Ray started it. I was the first p- pacer asked to pace that. Was the Monumental Marathon at Indianapolis, which I think now is now probably one of the top 20 marathons in the U S um, with its size and has some of the fastest runners. Um, that's one of my favorite. Another one that I really, really liked was, you know, the Louisiana marathon back, you know, you know, before it became, you know, the rock and roll and all that stuff. Back mm-hmm. in the days when you did the aid stations and it was liquor first, water, Gatorade, and- <laughs> every aid station liquor and all that stuff. I mean, just stacked. I mean, it was, you know, shots of whiskey. One would be, you know, you know, glasses of wine, but you don't see that stuff anymore um, because of all the insurance and all the regulations and all that stuff. It was just a fun marathon. And, you know, people would be drinking all night coming out, you know, with their, their, you know, beers and all that, hurricanes and all that. And it was just the fun atmosphere, you know, for the people that can, you know, drink and have a social time and, and fun with it. It was that type of thing where you just went and had fun. Nobody cared about their time. You're just out there to have a good time, and that's that's what I think is so different about running. I've always viewed running as a fun time. I don't. I've never viewed it as a serious time. Um, you know, I've ran races, but I don't really care if I win or. You know, I'm not out there to beat you every race. I'm not out there to win every race. Get my age group. If it happens, it happens. I just want to have fun and just know that I can do it, and and that's the part that I've always enjoyed about running.
1: Well, I think Nicholas and I would agree that. Uh... All of while the world is probably a safer place, all of the regulations and lawsuits have really cut down on a lot of fun that we used to experience.
2: Yeah, yeah, oh, that's totally. true. You know, but I'm sure there's probably more fingers and <laughs> fewer <laughs> concussions and all all the things that do actually have a point. Um, you know, we had a prior guest that said, uh, you know, emphasized for them and for their marathons it was really about the time that they have not the time they set and uh you know i think that that's something that's really important when you talk about some of these marathons it really is about the experience um one thing that we haven't mentioned that i i saw in a couple of the uh of your articles is um how much you like to engage with the other runners on the course i mean it's one thing to be a pacer and to be out there helping and assisting in that way but you're you really really embrace that i'd like to hear more about what it means to be part of the community and part of the races when or the, the that population when you're out there
0: well, well for me the pacing is is about the whole experience it's about knowing the spectators knowing the volunteers knowing the runners you know actually meeting you know some of the family members that i'm pacing um with, Because a lot of times, you know, the first timers, the people that I'm pacing, you know, they have you know, their husbands, their wives, their spouses, you know, their kids, their grandkids, all that out there, is uncles, aunts. And I like to, you know, meet everybody and have fun. And I'm always the one that's going to be talking to the spectators, thanking the volunteers, whether the policeman, the person on the corner, um, just engaging everybody. And it's so fun. I, I come to these marathons and I've been, you know, like Des Moines and, you know, some of these ones that have paced year after year after year and the volunteers and some of the spectators actually know me on the course and they're actually bringing me out, you know, a can of my favorite beer or, or, you know, (laughs) a bottle of my favorite flavored Powerade or Gatorade or they're bringing me out something that I know because they've seen me for so long that they just know that that's what I like and they just have fun with it or they're making comments at me to the the pace crew and, you know, this guy's only been here 10 years in a row, so he knows what he's doing or, you know, what are you running with him for? Get to the guy ahead of you. You know, they're just having fun with me and that's part of it is making – Making it fun for everyone, as well as the runners, because the spectators are part of the race. The volunteers are part of the race. That policeman on the corner—they're all part of the race, and we all want to have the experience and have the fun of it. And I think that's the important thing: is that it's a whole that has the fun, not just me as an individual or the runner. Everybody should have fun. It's—it's—it's like a team approach, or you know, just everybody should be having the same amount of fun.
1: I totally agree with that. And I, I love when I'm running is to, to thank, especially the volunteers and, and also the, uh, policemen on the course that are stopping traffic. Cause I can always see in their face that they're sleeping. They'd rather be in bed on a Saturday morning than, than out there helping mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. But you, you also said yep. the magic word yes. for Nicholas and yes. I, which was beer. So, uh, what's your favorite beer?
0: Oh, that's a tough one. I've been to the 650 microbrews in the U.S. Um, just finishing up my sixth time of going to one in all 50 states. Uh, is
2: is you're that one of the uh, one of the 129 spreadsheets you have? Is is which microbrews you've gone to?
0: I wish I wish I would. That would have actually been a great idea. You know, I do the Untapped and some of the other stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't. You know, I don't, I wasn't doing that because you know microbrews. You know, who ever knew? You know, when you came to the Pearl District and. I could sit there and talk about the Pearl District and, you know, obviously in Portland, Oregon, and we can talk about wine and beer and all that, you know, and it, but it's, it's, it's so fun to do that. That's one of the things that I really enjoy. You know, in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm at the 49th State Brewery. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know, when I was in Sioux Falls, I wasn't feeling as good, so I didn't get out to any of the breweries, and that's one of the experiences that I kind of miss is when I'm not feeling good, I can't do that, um, but that is one of my treats is to go have a small flight of beer, and that's all I do. I can I can basically handle twelve to fourteen ounces, um, sometimes sixteen, but that's about it when I do my brewery visit now and you know, ninety minutes two hours because of my bladder issues. But, you know, every every state's got it. you know, you talk we could talk hazy IPAs, we could talk South Quarters, you name it. You know, I've been to some of the best best microbreweries in in the US. And there is no favorite one. My always say the joke is just kind of like running. My favorite race is gonna be Well, my next one, my favorite microbrewery, hopefully is my next one. So I never like to say, hey, I don't know which one my favorite is. Just like my favorite marathon. You know, there is no marathon that's my favorite. They're all my favorites. And I hope my next one's my best one ever.
2: Well, we have definitive proof that you won every single one because they only give medals to winners. And you got a whole (laughs) bucket of medals
0: yeah thanks yeah i I certainly do have a bucket of mouth
2: (laughs)
1: yeah and it sounds like you were given beer prizes at every brewery that you went to so uh just a winner all around double bonus so so what are the next uh few months look like up till the end of the year for for races which ones are you really excited about
0: uh well again this this weekend um, i'm gonna be in med city marathon this is my legacy Um, This is 25 years of running this race. There's only six of us that have made it 25 years. Uh, One year was a half marathon. Um, Because of the heat, they switched it from the marathon um, to the half. So next year when I run Med City Marathon and I finish it, I'll be the only person in Minnesota, I believe, that has three major marathons or three marathons at 25 plus because I'll have, I have 20, seven grandmas, 25 Twin Cities, and 23 Met City right now. So I'll be the first person uh, to have three marathons in Minnesota at 25 plus. And next year, I should hit my 100th uh, Minnesota marathon, which will put me, I think that'll put me seventh all-time with Minnesota marathons. I'm third now in Minnesota with number of marathons at 566. Peter Butler's got 580, and Frank has just over 1,000. So, And I don't think I'll catch Frank with the cancer. So. And if you, if you want to know about marathons, you can test my trivia knowledge. Yeah, tell me about you it. Know, I, I, I pretty much know everything you want to want to know about the goofy marathons. So <laughs>
1: that well, is the an fact amazing that, stat. Well, the fact that you've done hundred marathons in Minnesota and you aren't the number one is just crazy. Because so you Minnesotans Correct. are yeah, crazy people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the most I think right now I think Dan. Dan might have 131, 132. He's somewhere out. I think he's around 130. The other guy's around 123. Um, John Naslin, I think he's just shy of 100. I can't think of where some of the other guys are. I think Alan Holtz may be around 100. I'd have to check on some of the the guys to see.
2: That's quite a group to be part
0: of. If you look at Minnesota for running, we are in the top. Out of the 50 states, we're almost in the top 10. We're almost in the, we are for sure almost in the top 10 of almost every single running category, including hundred thousand milers. Um, we have, we have the number two, I think number, number, number two streaker, as far as streaker days, Steve, just hit 50 years of running one mile a day for 50 years. Um, that's self-reported. Um, we have, I think we have 31 people now, I think over a hundred thousand mile career. Um, we have, I think, we have nine or eleven people that have done the sub four fifty states. Um, we just have a remarkable uh, amount. You know, you got to remember, we had, you know, Dick Beardsley who had the world record in June for the marathon of the grandmas. Um, you know, we had Scott Jurek who's been around forever. Um, we've, you know, Gary Borkland. I mean, we've had a tremendous amount of, of runners come from Minnesota um, that have just out, done outstanding, and and it is a very good. You know, we have our own Kenyan camp out in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. So it's like, it, it, it's weird to think that we are kind of a running mecca. It, it, it's, it's incredible. And, I've, and it's been so fun to be part of this experience uh, in my life.
2: Well, I, kudos to be able to include yourself among such an amazing list of runners. Um, that list of accomplishments to get into those uh, categories, well beyond my current reach, the idea of, uh, when it would take me to get to hundred thousand miles, I'd have to go through my spreadsheet. Uh, and I'm going to say it's, it's prohibitive. I'm not going to get to the hundred thousand miles.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mine's OEM. I'm Mine all original equipment except the little cadaver for the ACL. Um, you know, it was so funny because when I did the ACL surgery in 2005, um, my doctor, Dr. Smith, who did the surgery just kind of said, okay, you won't be running a marathon. After you know, for six months. So I had the surgery, I had to plan out my surgery when I could do the surgery so I could keep my marathon a month street going. Cause at that time I had just started marathon of month street. So I figured it out that, okay, if I did a marathon and, you know, early March, whatever it was like that, okay, I could get the, get the surgery done, have 30 some days to recover and I could walk a marathon and finish the Oklahoma city marathon. So that's what I did is I had the surgery. And then I was able to finish under the course requirement for the eight hours at the Oklahoma City Marathon. And then um, six months later, I'm breaking six minutes in the mile and four hours in the marathon. Um, I only took about 13 days off of running or walking after the ACL surgery, at ACL surgery. And it was only about 13 days off. And I only took one pain pill. I've only taken one pain pill in my life. So,
1: uh, my. My my son has had ACL surgery twice, so I kind of know that process, and I can guarantee to everybody listening that everything you stated is
0: not doctor-recommended. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing a, do a mile repeats on the track, walking three days after surgery is not recommended.
1: Not recommended, but uh, it makes me so happy that you did it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm also amazed at the idea of Completing a marathon in any way besides being uh, pushed in a stroller after ACL surgery that quickly. Uh, It's just Mm -hmm. well well done. Well, well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's been a great conversation. I, I don't even know how to compartmentalize all of these things that you have done in your life. And I think it is just great inspiration to continue to get out there.
0: Well, you mentioned the years. It was 18 years this month. I have 18 years of, of doing a marathon, one a month for 18 years, uh, with, with obviously two being April of May of 2020, being the pandemic. I think that puts me in the top 20 for Longest Street. I think I'm ninth in the world for Longest Street with consecutive months of races at 545 consecutive months of doing a race. I'm trying to get to 600 months if I can. Obviously, I had the two you know, the two months with the pandemic, April and May, but that's my goal is to get 50 years of running them. Um, we'll see if I can do it. We'll see if who, who, who's going to, who's going to win cancer or me. Uh, don't bet against me.
1: Yeah. I'm betting on you, Tom. I'm betting on Tom. Thank you so much. And, uh, have a great race coming up.
0: All right. Thank you. And we'll stay in touch. So hopefully when I get out to Oregon, I'll let you know.
1: We'd
2: love to see you. We'd love to see you.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye now.
2: I think the magic number coming out of that conversation, 129. <laughs> It wasn't the uh,
1: 566 marathons? That wasn't the magic number for you? How's he going to know that unless he's tracking it in a spreadsheet? If anybody out there questions the love that Nicholas has for spreadsheets, um, you you really got to evaluate uh, what, what you've noticed here. He he loves spreadsheets
2: above all. Uh, I, I really do. And actually, to bring it back to the person we should be talking about, um, I, it, there's no surprise that Tom, uh, revels in that minutiae. you know, I, and I think it's an interesting connection. I'd be curious to see if there's a brain connectivity between that and the human metronome, because his ability to run within a six second pace on a marathon with no watch blows my mind. I have no idea
1: how he does that. I, I, I kind of want to say, Tom, you are lying. You have a secret yes. watch hidden somewhere. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe as a pacemaker we don't know about, a special pacemaker that's just tapping that pace. But that is insane and, and so cool.
2: Yeah, totally cool. Um, it, you know, it would, it, in, in across a range of times, it wasn't just, you know, I can run a 350 marathon. I know that. I can sit in. I It's like, oh, you need me to run a 530? Okay. I, I'll do that.
1: Yeah, it was like, "Oh, you want a 850 pace marathon?" Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll do that. that's my favorite," he says, as in and he doesn't realize <laughs> exactly. that he's talking to two guys like,
2: "That's like our stretch goal." I like IPAs, horror movies, and 850 pace in a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But and and then just the I don't think there's any other word
1: for it that's just the superhuman mental and physical fortitude to keep at it, going through surgeries, going through uh, cancer treatments, and just keeping that streak
2: alive. Yeah, the dedication, the absolute unwillingness to let that go by the wayside, especially with the things that he had to uh, struggle through to get there. And he he mentioned it in a couple passings, past scenes, um, April and May of 2020, obviously with COVID, um, created interruptions that he really doesn't want to have to acknowledge because it was so far out of his control. Uh, and yet everything else that he was able to control and manage, he worked through and he got there. So any inspiration you need in knowing that you just simply have to redirect your focus on your own path and what you can control, just you know, put this episode on repeat and listen to Tom. Uh, you know what Tom has uh, taught me? What's that?
1: I need to tighten up my truss and run farther.
2: Oh man, you're gonna have uh, you. You're not gonna be all OEM in a little bit. You're gonna have a little carbon carbon fiber yeah. mesh. <laughs> it's part of the. I am. Hopefully, it'll make me faster because nothing else has been able to get me faster so far. I think I think that amount of carbon fiber makes you the uh, sixty dollar man. <laughs> um, you're not quite <laughs> up I'll to, take to six million. Six million dollar <laughs> man. year, just 60 bucks. I will slowly take it. accruing. Oh, wow. So what an amazing runner. Um, you know, he talks about his personal accomplishments, but he also really is somebody that wants to be part of the race. And that, I mean, really be a part of the race. And the idea that he's continually engaging with everyone that he's around. Uh, and again, being able to stay on that focus and still do what he needs to do. Really, what, what, just what a cool person. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends how much you love listening in.
1: And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast run club because that's where all us old crazies hang out and that's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, keep putting in the miles, and keep
2: being Old Crazy Runners.